Tony Robbins said, the only impossible journey is the one you never begin. Jim Rohn said, only by giving are you able to receive more than you already have. Winston Churchill said, success is walking from failure to failure with no loss of enthusiasm. Welcome to Make Shit Happen episode number 14, part two with Wade Smith. This is an inspiring one, guys. I hope you had a chance to listen to part one. But part two is even more interesting, exciting, and inspiring. Wade Smith really dropped some knowledge on us in part two. And I cannot wait to share this powerful, powerful episode with you. So without further ado, let's jump into part two of Make Shit Happen with Wade Smith. So you, you were a pro bowler a couple of times. How's, just one time. Just one, just time. one time. Yeah. How's that experience? Uh, it was awesome, man. I didn't get to my first. I didn't go to my Pro Bowl to my tenth year in the league. So uh-huh. I've been in the league for a long time. But I was able to take my family to Hawaii. You know, back then the Pro Bowl was in Hawaii. Wasn't Hawaii so, yeah. yeah. So I kind of shortchanged those guys these years. They, they these days they got to go to Orlando, and Orlando's a, a fine place, but it's not. It's not like going to Hawaii. Yeah. So, um, but I was able to fly out my my parents and my my brothers and sisters and my wife and kids, of course. And it was a great experience to be able to get in the huddle and you know, Peyton Manning's the quarterback. I had a bunch of my teammates there with me, guys like um, Dwayne Brown, Arian Foster, Andre Johnson, um, Owen Daniels. You know, it was a bunch of guys there. I think we had mm-hmm. nine guys go to the Pro Bowl that year. That was after the 2012 season. Well, was, that was we were 14 2 that year? Uh, we were, I believe we went 12 and 4. 12 and 4. Year. Yeah, 12 and 4. 4 that year. Sorry, yeah. yeah, we started off the season 11 and 1, and we ended up 12 and 4. 12 and 4, yeah. yeah. Uh, that was that was a great year, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a great year. But you know what? The best team that I was on was the year before that in 2011. 2011. If you go back and look at that team, man, like um, the amount of Pro Bowlers that were on that roster, either at that time, a year before, or like a year or so after, it's ridiculous. It was probably out of 22 starters, you had like 16 Pro Bowlers on that roster. And the only problem was is our starting quarterback, Matt Schaub, got hurt probably in the 10th game of the year. Mm-hmm. And so we ended up having a rookie playing. And he did well for us, helped us get to the playoffs. Um, I got T.J. Yates, but we struggled in the, in the playoff game against Baltimore on the road. But when people ask me, like, have you ever played on the Super Bowl or played in the Super Bowl before? I'm like, nah, but I've played on a Super Bowl caliber team before. Like, We had a bunch of injuries that year. Andre Johnson played like – I believe he played seven games that year, you, you, but we still we still balled. And you think we had Super Bowl caliber team that year? For sure. Like I don't think I know it. Like know? I, I, I mean, I, the year after I left the Texans, I went to Seattle. Seattle had just won the Super Bowl the year before that, right? Mm-hmm. I was in their locker room. I could feel the vibe in there, and I was like, "This feels like what it felt like in 2011, where we lose Mario Williams for the season." He had six sacks in six games. Then he's out for the year. Mm-hmm. But then we got a, a young guy like Brooks Reed comes in there and balls out. Has his best year in his career, his rookie year. Mm-hmm. You know, we had a bunch. Of, we had a bunch of, we had a bunch of dogs on that team. We had a, we had a squad, and so, um, you know, we had Arian Foster had over twelve, thirteen hundred yards. Our our backup running back had nine hundred and fifty some yards. Who was the backup t- running back? Uh, ben Tate. Ben Tate. Yeah, yeah. So we, I mean, our offensive line. Um, arguably the best offensive line in the in the league that year. It was Dwayne, myself, Chris Myers, Mike Brazil, Eric Winston. Oh, yeah. All those guys either went to a Pro Bowl, got our Pro votes, whatever. Yeah. We had a we had a, a you have a really good offensive line, you got a chance. And so we start off the season seven and three, lost our quarterback. 
Um, ended up making the playoffs. That was the first year we went to the playoffs as an organization, won the division, um, won our first playoff game handily. We went to Baltimore. We turned the ball over four times. Can't win. Lost by touchdown. We turned over four times. Lost by touchdown. We were better than that day. If you go back and look at the tape, we was kicking their ass up yeah. and down the field. But you turn the ball over, you can't win. Not yeah. against a good team. Not against a good team. Yeah. Um, who won the Super Bowl that year? Uh, but I think that was the year that the Patriots might have went and lost maybe that year. Did I'm they, trying to remember. Yeah, I don't know. I think that either. was the year that they went and lost. Because Baltimore beat us and then lost to the Patriots. Yeah. But I think the Patriots might have lost, lost to, to the Giants to that year. To New York Giants. Yeah, yeah. I think they might have lost to the Giants. I think they might have. So, uh, what do you think? I, you are you're ambassador for Texans. What yeah. is what does that mean? Um, basically, I go out and do autograph signing events, maybe on the day of the game, or I'll I'll go to different youth camps, like play sixty events, or I'll go speak at school. So, like a lot of the stuff that I do on my own with the Waysmith Foundation, mm -hmm. I do similar things with the Texans. So, but in that role, I'm a Texans ambassador for my own foundation. I'm executive director of the Waysmith Foundation. So, um, anything that has to do with setting positive example for, for, for kids and and I'm talking to them about the importance of reading or talking to them about the importance of nutrition and uh -huh. you know being able to use good time management, all those type of things. So we we do that and sometimes I might they might have me go into a suite and hang out with some VIPs some, or whatever yeah. and just chop it up with them. So now let like me that. ask you a question. You grew up in Dallas. Did you yeah. grow up as a Dallas uh Cowboys fan? I hated them. <laughs> I absolutely hated the Cowboys as a kid. Oh yeah, because you were a who's who's. So your I was team? I was a big 49ers and Bears fan growing up okay. because my two favorite players were Walter Payton and Jerry Rice. And my dad he he grew up like in the D.C. area, mm -hmm. so he's a big Redskins fan. He told me as a little kid like you can like anybody except the Cowboys. <laughs> so when you're four or five years old, your dad tells you you can like anybody but the Cowboys. You listen. You so listen. I didn't mess with the Cowboys, and then the Cowboys were trash. They were bad. Like mm -hmm. when I was growing up in like growing up in elementary schools, when I was really starting to watch football, they were a bad football team, and you couldn't find a cowboy fan anywhere. The only cowboy fans I knew were my mom and my grandma, and that was it. But then all of a sudden they started winning. Jimmy Johnson comes in there, they start winning all these championships. Everybody got a cowboy starter jacket on. All of a sudden, I'm like, wait a minute, I like you couldn't watch the games on. They were, the games were blacked out. You couldn't watch them on TV. Yeah. So I'm like, all of a sudden, everybody's Cowboys fans. So that made me resent them even more. Yeah. Cause they were winning Super Bowls and having parades and people was riding at parades and stuff. I'm like, y'all doing this all over the Cowboys, man. And so <laughs> I didn't stop hating the Cowboys until it was time for the draft. Once really? once business came involved, I was like, oh, if Dallas want to draft me, that's cool. That's cool. I mean, I'm be, I mean, I'm at, I'm so at you the got career. drafted by the Dolphins. Though. I got drafted by the Dolphins. What did you yeah. think about that? Um, what part of it? I mean, when I when I got drafted, first of all, I was at my grandma's house in Oak Cliff. That was a great experience. I got drafted on my birthday. Oh, okay. Uh, on my 22nd birthday, and this was back when 50 Cent had the song um, <clears throat> in the club. Oh. So, go, Shawty. It's your birthday. <laughs> it's your birthday. So, hey, so when I got drafted, that was playing in the background. Like, it was a great experience. So, so you, you know did I mean? it at your at your grandma's house? Yeah. All the, all the everybody was there. Everybody did you know that there. you were going to be a third rounder? Or, I mean, how does that work? Tell me that. So coming from Memphis, you know what I mean? It, it's not a powerhouse. It's, it's, it's gotten a lot better now since I've been there. But in recent about 10 years, Memphis has become a, a more um, substantial program. But back then it wasn't. And so going into the combine, I think my draft grade was like seventh round free agent. That mm -hmm. was what my draft grade was going into the combine. I went to the combine and my draft stock shot, shot up. And then my agent was saying, like, 
you're going to get picked in in the third round, second or third round at the at the latest. And mm-hmm. so that's what it ended up being. But I had a position change. So when I went to the University of Memphis, I was a tight end. Yeah. So I played tight end and fullback my first two years with, with Memphis. And then we had a coaching change, had an offensive scheme change. They started doing the spread offense. So I moved off. They asked me to move the offensive line. And I almost transferred out of school. Like, nah, because I had started games as a – a, sophomore, a freshman and sophomore at tight end and the tight end that was the man went to the NFL so now it's my turn to be the man at tight end but then it's like we run the spread offense we don't use the tight ends anymore so it's like either you can move to defensive line because we want you to play you need to play you're too good to not play but you're not going to get good use at tight end so it's like you can move to defensive line and move to offensive line and so you know, I go. He was like, my my coach brought me into the office. This is like before spring break. He said, think over it over spring break, but come back. He was like, make sure you come back, cause he, cause you could. I guess he could probably see on my face that I wasn't really too high on the idea. But I went back to my my um, apartment, and was talking to my roommate, telling him about it. And he was like, man, and he was the starting center on the team, and he was like, bro, if you move the old line down, you'll you'll do good at it. Just trust me, you'll love it. And my my coach, my head coach, Tommy West, he told me, he said, hey, man, if you if you go, if you switch position, you'll end up being one of the most athletic tackles in the draft and you'll play in the NFL for 10 years. This is what he told me in the, when I'm sitting in the office as he's telling me, you're going to have to switch positions. So he ended up being exactly right. I didn't, I didn't play 10 years. I played 12 years. But I was one of the most athletic guys in the draft, shot up the board, and so – that's how it kind of went. That's yeah. how it kind of went. So yeah. so now tell me, you know, because everyone, people who don't know the process, when we are watching the draft, we're like, you know, everybody, you know, they, they're in the third round, they're in the fourth round. They don't know what round they're going to be in. Everybody's, the whole family's there. It's a party going on at the house or whatever. You know, most of the people who, who are in the first round, they're right there yeah. in the auditorium. Yeah. The second, third, well, some of the second are too, but the third, fourth, fifth, third and fourth round, they're basically sitting at home. Yeah. So, so I mean, how does that process go? So, yeah, I think back then, the draft, first, second, and third round used to be on the first the first day. Now, oh, it? now okay. it's like the first first round is on one day, I believe. The, the second, second and third, and third is are on the second, second day, day. And then fourth through seventh are on the third day. Right. They stretched it out because the NFL is all about making bread. And yeah. they, they do a, a great job of it. And so they figure out a way to stretch it out so they can make more money off of it. And so, but back then it was first, second, and third round. So we knew when the, when the first round of draft is going on, I know I'm not going to get drafted. I'm just looking to see some of the dudes that I met at the combine, I played against, played with some of my buddies to see where they get drafted and stuff like that. And the place you can see by where they get drafted, how that might affect you personally, because mm-hmm. you know there's certain teams that's looking at you, certain teams that might want you to, to come to their place. If they draft somebody in your position, then you're like, all right, that might eliminate that team. Mm-hmm. But I'm at I'm at my grandma's house. It's my birthday. My grandma cooked. I'm eating good. Aunts, uncles, cousins, you know, everybody's there. So we just having a party, playing dominoes, whatever. By the time the third round hit, though, it's like, all right, it's gonna get start close to that time. And he had been there for about I don't know five six hours at this point. And so shoot, I was playing dominoes with my brother and my my best friend, and I was like, man, I need to go outside for a second and get some fresh air because I could start. To, I could feel like I felt like. It was something was going to happen soon, and so I go outside. I get a I get a call, and it's the three hundred five number on there. I said three hundred five. That's that's Miami. I get on the that's phone, Miami. and it's the GM of the Dolphins. His name is Rick Spielman. I think he's with the, the Vikings now, but he was like, "Hey, are you ready to be a Miami Dolphin?" I'm like hell yeah, you know what I mean. So 
my my brother and my best friend are outside with me, but I guess some of my family members could see what was going on. And so I'm like, yo, I'm going to Miami. And so and it was a, it was a great feeling, man, to, just to be there with all of my friend, family and friends, people that had been there since I was a little kid, you know, running around the house with a football under my hand. They got to share that experience with me. And so that was great. And so was, was the was camera over there? The no, nah, we, we have So, you know, a lot of I, now I've never the been cameraman there like, is there. Yeah, I mean, there, yeah, I mean, depending on who's who it is, what PR company they might have, because that's all that is back in the day, like. I didn't know anything about none of that. Yeah. Talking about being absolutely green. I went to a Memphis that wasn't a big time university. So, you know, when I went to the combine, I didn't wear the right type of shoes to run fast. I didn't know the tricks of the trade to to kind of game the system yeah. on different things. I was just absolutely green. So I, I think I was a late bloomer because I just had to f- see things for myself and figure things out as I went. But I would have never even thought to have like a PR company or a camera crew there filming that that experience like that was so, just something so, that, so let me ask you a question then so nowadays when when we see the draft and you know there's camera crew already there and yeah you know you're you're doing the phone call in front of the tv you know the camera yeah. all that is like a pr related yeah that thing? stuff is all pre-planned and set up it's man. pre-planned and set up no question about it and okay. so it's, it's kind of jacked up sometimes when you call the local that some of those kids like or their people will call the local news station and say, hey, be at this person's house because they're going to get drafted at this time and then they don't go when they're supposed yeah. to. And there's a lot of long faces in there, people looking sad and all that type of stuff. But at the same time, if you have somebody to capture it, like I would have loved to been able to capture that moment. Uh-huh. Looking back on it, if I could have just every now and again just pop in the tape like this is when they called me and the feelings and stuff yeah. I went through, that would have been great. But I, I never – that type of thing didn't even cross my mind at all way back then. So when you played for Miami, Chris Long was was there? No, we didn't. No? Chris Long, I don't think Chris Long ever played for the Dolphins. Did, did he? Didn't he get dra- drafted for the Dolphins? Chris, so he he won. Um, Howie Howie Long's son. Yeah, he went to. Where did he get drafted by? Chris Long was. He with, won the championship with Patriots one year. Yeah, Bowl. but he he. I think he got drafted by the Rams, man. I think he was drafted by the was Saint he, was Louis it, Rams. Okay, maybe yeah. maybe if I'm I remember wrong right. That. I believe it was the Rams. Yeah, he never was with the Dolphins. He was never with the Dolphins. Yeah. So when you were with the Dolphins, what did you? I mean, and then you ended up coming to Houston Texans. What did you? What, you know, a lot of people, a lot of athletes nowadays, they they love the Miami scene. It's just so much yeah. glitz and glamour. Yeah. And you moved to Houston, and then you ended up making Houston your home. Tell tell us a little bit about that. So. When I was drafted by Miami, I was I was also married probably six months after I came to Miami. I got uh-huh. married in October. I got drafted in April. So the time between April and October, I was already engaged, but I got married in October, like on a Tuesday uh-huh. during a on a on a like during a normal game week. I just got married on a Tuesday, um, and so I I lived like on the west side of South Florida, so like Pembroke. Um, Pembroke Pines, so it was the suburbs. I went to South Beach a total of probably three, four times, and I was down there. And every time I went to South Beach, something crazy happened. Like something went on. So I wasn't really in the streets like that, and I was green. And so I was like, man, I'm just going to stay at the crib. I'm, I'm not going to get into too much stuff. So that whole, you know, South Beach lifestyle, I already knew. I, I was one of the type of people that understood, like, hey, if I get too involved with some of this, I'm going to end up getting myself into some trouble, so I'm going to stay away from it. I'm just mm-hmm. focusing on ball, focusing on my family, all that type of stuff. So that's what I did early on in my career. And, and so I was with Miami for three years. Then I went to the Jets for two years. 
Then I went to the Chiefs for two years before I came yeah, yeah, here. Yeah, you went to Chiefs. To, yeah. To, yeah, before I came here to Houston. So when I came here to Houston, I was a free agent and I had multiple visits. I went to uh, to Buffalo and to um, Arizona, here to Houston. But Houston was a huge front runner with me coming to here because it felt like being recruited all over again in college. But I was like, listen, if I can get back to my home state, I can get back to 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 where my parents and my family can come see every home game. Um, Houston was an up and coming team at the time. The year before I was got, got here, they were nine and seven. They missed the playoffs by a tiebreaker. Mm-hmm. So I was like, hey, I want to help put them over the hump. They, they were talked about it, saying they had one of the their offensive line was soft at the time. And so I was like, I'm gonna come in here and we're gonna have some. I'm gonna I'm gonna come in with some dog mentality and we're gonna be a better offensive line. And the first year I got here, we we. Uh, Shoot, Arian Foster won the won the rushing title that year. Mm-hmm. He had over sixteen hundred yards, and so, um, you know, I helped help make that happen. So I was I was great I was great with my decision to come here to Houston, and I love the state of Texas. And then people asked me when I first got here, like, "Hey, you gonna come back to Dallas after you get done playing football?" And I was like, "Yeah, hey, yeah, I'm gonna come back to Dallas. You know, I'm gonna, you know that's where I'm gonna grow up. I mean, that's where I'm gonna raise my family." Yeah. But the longer I was here, I was like, Man, "I love it here. There's no reason for me to go and." This city is so diverse. Like my neighborhood is so diverse. My street is so diverse that you can't get, I don't know anywhere else where you can get that, where you can get a whole bunch of people that don't look like you and a whole bunch of people that do look like you that are successful and you all live in the same neighborhood. It's just, I know it's, there's no place like that in Dallas. There's no place like that that I've seen around the country. But here in Houston, it's like that. And so I love the fact that my kids are growing up in an environment where there really is no majority. Everybody around them um, has some some sort of success in their lives. And then and so now you're growing up with different cultures. You're growing up against going around and learning from different people. And so it's going to help you be a more well-rounded individual once you go out into the world. And so I was like, yeah, I'm not leaving here. So I've been here ever since. I've been here 10 years now. So besides the diversity, what other what is one more thing or a couple more things they like about Houston? Uh, I mean it's Texas, so there's gonna be great food everywhere. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I, mean I, was, I was hoping that you'll say that. Yeah, I mean <laughs> there's there's great food everywhere here in Houston, and so you can't go wrong there. You can't go wrong with just the, the just the way people interact with one another. It's very. I mean, I feel like when you're here, you feel like you at home. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And me growing up in Dallas and being from Texas is different. Like when you leave the state of Texas and people say, hey, where are you from? Whatever city you say in Texas, they're going to be like, oh, you from Texas. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, we, we just have a different mentality here. It's probably the most prideful state in, in out of 50. You know what I mean? United States of America. When people from Texas, they be like, yeah, I'm from Texas. Like I represent Texas. And so um, I love that about it. Um I love the area that my kids are growing up in, the schools that are there, and um, there's a lot of things to love about the city. So tell me, tell me, uh, food. You said you, you love the food. So if you were to take your family on a Friday after Friday evening, what kind of food are y'all are y'all eating as a family? Oh, that's a good question, man. I mean, if it depends on what's going on. <laughs> I'm gonna eat some. Give me, give me a couple of good genres of food you like. How I mean, I'm a big barbecue guy, so uh-huh. I go to to Ray's Real Barbecue Pit. You, you, over you in, go, you go in support tray. your boy Herbo. Yeah, there. no question about it. I'm gonna go see him when I when I get a chance to. And so, um, I know when I go there to eat, I'm gonna be sleepy afterwards, and I'm gonna go home and lay down and and just chill for the rest of the day because I eat we eat real big over there. Um, but there's a there's a lot of great steakhouses around this city. There's there's killings and I mean there's 
it's I mean, you could throw a rock and find a great restaurant. You know what I mean? You, mm-hmm. If you want to eat some some paleo food, you go to Ruggles Black. You know what I mean? If yeah, you want to, that's good. You know, there's just it's good food. She got keto now there. too. Keto, paleo, uh, all that stuff. Yeah, I, mean, I like I like that food. It has that Indian fusion. Yeah, spice. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's the thing about Houston, man. You are gonna fuse all different types of stuff together. You, you know, get you get you some good tortillas, tacos. It's just, yeah. man, it's a lot of different. Whatever kind of food you want, you trying to make me hungry right I now. <laughs> I ain't eat, I ain't eaten yet this morning, man. Whatever kind of food you want to get, you yeah. you want some crawfish. There's several kind of yeah, crawfish. You can go to L.A. Fisherman, get you some crawfish. You want Vietnamese crawfish, Cajun crawfish, yeah, whatever. You that, want man. Indian food. You got some Indian food. You want some, some uh, Vietnamese some pho? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah See, you're, you're that's one right. thing that I, I never tasted before until I got here to Houston with some Vietnamese pho. I'm like, I always thought it was pho. You know what <laughs> oh, yeah. mean? I just say it was like, what's that pho? What's that? I actually tried it here. It's, that's some damn good stuff. I probably need to get me some now. My voice a little raspy. You know, you know, you know what maybe man? maybe ramen will be good. And you know, that's that's another big thing coming up. Ramen soup. Yeah. Um, well, that was a big thing in college. Oh, I ramen! Mean, yeah, no. ramen in college. Oh, ramen. I'm not talking about ramen yeah. noodles. Yeah, yeah I'm talking about ramen noodles. <laughs> and we didn't call them ramen. We called them Roman noodles. I, I don't know what y'all call them, but we call them Roman noodles. And so, when people talk about uh, yeah, we, we had ramen people noodles. talk about talking about eating ramen. I'm like, nah, I'm, I'm cool on that, man. Yeah, I, I had pl- I had my my feel of that growing up. Now yeah. I will still eat me some Popeyes though. Don't get that twisted. You, yeah. you ever had Popeyes before? Popeyes, not Popeyes. Pot, oh, pot pies. pies, of course, yeah, pot, pot pies, pies. of okay. course. Okay, yes. Yeah, so. Hey, listen, you know what? I grew up, you know, kind of poor. Yeah. So Raymond, Raymond noodles, yeah. pot pies, anything yeah. I could get, yeah. you know, that's what we were eating then. Really. Let me tell you what, my, and this is, I haven't, I haven't shared this with a lot of people, but, you know, every time I tell my dad, hey, dad, we're going to go out somewhere? My dad said, yeah, let's go. We'll go to Burger King because the Whopper was only 99 cents. Yeah, 99 cents. And that was, a, that was family dinner for us. Yeah, that got me through college, bro. You know, <laughs> college. So, and and we couldn't get fries. My mom wouldn't let us let us get fries. We'd have to get two fries, and we all had to share because yeah. you know because Whopper was ninety nine cents. So she's like, if you're hungry, get two Whoppers. Yeah, you know, but you can't eat fries. We gotta eat. We gotta all share the fries. So, so you know, we you know, I've had my share of the humble beginnings. Yeah, man. Get you get you some some ninety nine cent Whoppers, and then go to the dollar store and get you some ninety nine cent chips. But it'll be a big bag since big you, bag. Get, you get it from Dollar Store. Yeah, and I would get three. That, that was my weekend: three whoppers and three bags of chips. And so that that's was what college. We would do. That's, that's crazy. <laughs> you saying that because because my mom will bring you know will we'll we'll go get the whopper, bring it home, yeah, and then she'll have the laced potato chips that she'll buy from Oshans. Yeah, for for thirty nine cents <laughs> already. Already, you know. So, but but let me you know I, I appreciate you coming over here. Let me ask you: Is there Something someone always you know if someone always talks to you is there something that you always wish people would ask you but nobody ever asked you something that people wish they would ask me that they never asked me yeah I don't know man that's a good question I'd have to really think on that I wish they would ask me because I mean, a lot of people I, I mean I wish I wish people would ask me when they talk to me about um, the kids that I affect. Just ask me the different stories of of the different interactions that I have with them, and, and what a difference that it does make if they cared more about that. A lot of times, you, a lot of times when you're out and about and you're doing these events and and um, you know socialites and, and philanthropists and all the type of stuff, and it's like, oh Wade, like he, oh he's awesome, he does great things, he does stuff. But like, no, it, it's deeper than that. It's very hands on. It's very ground level. It's, ground level is very grassroots, and so those people that really care about those stories 
those are the ones that I really appreciate. Share one that stands to you that that you can that you can say. You know what? Let me share this one. Well, I'll give I'll give a story. This won't be a youth story, but this will be one of my college kids. So uh -huh. I have a kid that and he's not a kid now. He's graduated from the University of, of Houston now. But you you have uh, a, a guy that went to Lamar High School, used the scholarship money um, that he was able to receive through the Smitty Scholarship Program to get him all the way through college to where when he graduated college, he was debt-free. Um, he's got an engineering degree, um, doing great things around the city of Houston. And so those are the type of situ situations when they happen, you think to yourself like, man, I understand this is why I do it. You know, this is why I do it. When you, when you can bring people with you to read them with the pros and see how the kids interact to see when you have conversations, anytime you can get one-on-one -on -one in, in, in front of a group, a small group of kids and do Q and a with them and, and do have them basically get on an eye level with you and understand that at one point you used to be like them, but you are a success in life and you made it. You're a boss. I want to be a boss too. This guy is going to explain to me how to make it happen. And they had that aha moment like, wow, okay. Or like that cosign. Like I love reading books, but usually I get made fun of for reading books, but they said it's cool. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? They said that it's okay. And you see the faces in the crowd. You see them light up. You see the smiles. You see the little girls that see um, you know, a chef on the on the on the panel, or a, a, a female police officer, somebody they identify with, they look up there. Man, I want to be just like them. You know what I mean? And so, that's a cool feeling. The thing that I do with the Reading with the Pros program is I get a really diverse group of people to be up there on that panel. I'll have some current and former NFL players and, and athletes, but I have business owners like you, like like Nira at, from Ruggles Black. I have business owners like Herb. I have. Um, you know, doctors, police officers, firefighters, just professionals and all different chefs, um, radio disc jockeys, TV, yeah, reporters. TV reporters. So these all these people that have to utilize literacy and reading on a daily basis in order for them to continue to live out their dream. But at the same time, it lets them know that, hey, if they can make it, you can make it as well. They used to be just like you. And I try to make sure that there's a good representation on that stage to our whatever group of kids I'm talking to. They see somebody up there that that reminds them of themselves, mm -hmm. and so if they can make that, if they can relate that back to like they was they they look just like me, or that looks like my uncle, or that looks like my aunt, and they're telling me to do this. Anytime, like that's the thing about kids, man. I have my kids. I talk to kids all the time, right? And I tell them X, Y, Z, and they listen because I'm Wade Smith. I played for the Texans. I tell my kids the same thing, but it's just like you're just dad. Like, all right, dad, whatever. And it takes them making mistakes a few times about, oh well, dad was right. Mm -hmm. But anytime you can get somebody that supposedly has status that's not their parents telling the kids something, they perk up and they listen. It's not their teachers that they see each and every day. It's not their parents that they see each and every day. These are people that they look at on TV and they say, "Wow, that's so they're true. telling me they're telling me this is this is what it is." Like, I I'm 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 gonna listen I'm gonna to listen this. Listen to that, yeah, that's true. Um, wait, so what is in Wade Smith's future? I mean, you're still a young guy. Yeah. What are you, 39, 38? I'm 38. That's okay. a great question. Um, huh. I'm, I'm a day-to-day -day guy, but I'm also a futuristic guy. Eventually, I'm going to find myself coaching somewhere. I mean, eventually, I'm going to end up coaching um, at the high school football level, and if not there, at the NFL level. Is that something I absolutely – You want to do it? a teacher. 
You know what I mean? Even though when I played the game, I taught the game too for people that might have been there to take my job or people that was there beside me teaching the game of football. I love everything. That's why I talk about sports on Sports Radio 16 is because I'm teaching. It's an opportunity for me to talk about and teach the game to the masses, people that, that aren't there on a ground ground level each and every day. I like teaching. And so eventually I'm going to get into that. But the thing right now is I also most important thing to me is to be the best dad I can be. And so in being present. And so mm-hmm. by me being a dad and caring that much about being there for my kids, being a coach, those things don't too job. They don't yeah. job. An NFL coach in, in time is, is something that you don't have a lot of it. What are you? How old is your youngest? Uh, how old is the youngest? My youngest daughter is two. Two. Two years old. So, but see, the thing about my youngest is that she's two, and so if she grows up a certain type of way, it's not going to be an issue for her. In other words, like my my two oldest kids, they grew up at a young age, moving all over the place. Yeah. Right. So they were used to that. But then once we settled down, it was like, all right. Now it's been this way for about six years, seven years. Like once we got here in Houston, they've been here in Houston for ten straight years. Mm-hmm. So I'm not gonna mess that up. They are gonna have to get out of co- get out of high school before I ever decide to like do anything with coaching because I don't want them to, you know, I'm not trying to give them that abrupt thing just because it's something I want to do. In the meantime, I can continue to do the stuff that I'm doing in the community. Um, I can continue giving back to kids. But eventually, I'm gonna. So we can expect a, a mid 40s Wade Smith getting into coaching. No question. No question. No question. Yeah, 40, yeah, somewhere around there, 42, 43. 43. Yeah. Man, yeah. you know what? That's that's good. I, you yeah. know, I wish you good luck in that. Yeah. Wait, you know, um, it's it's time to finish the show, and I always ask, you know, my, my guests to tell, you know, do, do this one thing. If you have to share three things with future generations, kids, anyone who's hearing, you know, this show, three things that you can share with, you know, something that you, is your mantra in life or yeah. something you want to, pay it forward or move it forward or share it forward, what would it be? Um, nothing worth having in life comes easy. Nothing, okay. Absolutely nothing. Nothing worth having in life comes easy. That, to me, that's all-encompassing. Like, if you really want something and it's something important and something significant, it's going to take hard work, it's going to take sacrifice, it's going to take um, adversity in order to achieve it. And once you do achieve it, it's there's nothing like it. And so nothing worth having in life comes easy. If it comes too easy for you, you're not going to appreciate it. You know what I mean? You're going to have to be able to grind and go through some things for you to truly appreciate what you accomplish in life. Like for, in order for me to live out my dream to be an NFL player, it took a lot. It took a lot of sacrifice. It took a lot of great decision-making. It took a lot of um, blessings from God. It took a lot of things for me to make it. Hard work, weight room, on the field, mentally, educating myself, all that type of stuff. So nothing worth having in life comes easy. I think that's the, the most important thing. All right. What is the number two? Uh, number two. Um, I, like I said, I think it's pretty much all-encompassing, but um, making good choices. I mean, there's going to be times in life, a lot of times in life, where there's things that you want to do that can take away from things that you that you truly need to do in life and what you eventually want to be. So if you're a good decision maker, if you're willing to make sacrifices and and do things that other people are not willing to do. Um, there's a lot of people that are talented in this world, but the ones that run things, the ones that are decision makers, are the ones that make the good decisions and are really de- willing to sacrifice um, some of that short-term gratification for long-term success. And so 
Um, I think that's extremely important that you make good decisions um, and that you are willing to sacrifice um, some of those kind of short term, short term wishes and, and wants for, for long term success. Awesome. That's a powerful one. Number three. Uh, number three. Let me think of this top of my head. Y'all probably have to edit this out a little bit because I had to think. Um, what do I want to pay for? What do, what do they need to know? Um, learn something new every day. Like continue to educate yourself every single day. And it doesn't mean that you have to like, the only way you can educate yourself is to go to college. Nah, that's not, that's not what I'm saying. You educate yourself every day. Learn something new every day. If you don't learn something in that day, then to me that day was counterproductive. You didn't, you didn't gain and you didn't grow as a person. And so learn something new every day. Have a conversation with somebody that you might not have otherwise had a conversation with because you're going to pick up and gain knowledge for somebody that is not in your normal circle, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Or or read a book that you might not otherwise um, read or listen to something or whatever you can do to gain knowledge and learn something, the better off you can be. I'm all about having people to eventually become bosses, right? Well, I've never met a boss that was a good boss and that lasted in any kind of business that was not intelligent. If you you if somebody tries to tell you what to do, I tell kids this all the time. If somebody tried to tell you what to do and they didn't know what they was talking about, how would you look at that person? You look at them like, like what are you you're talking? You're a clown right now. Like what, what are you trying to tell me? Yeah. But talking out of your ass. Exactly. But the more the more that you learn, the more the more information that you gain in whatever specific field that you're trying to do, and just general knowledge, it makes you a more well-rounded person. It'll allow you eventually to grow into that role of being a boss. And so you you have to have that intelligence in order to be that. And, and I mean, I've never come across a dumb boss. You know, what I mean, if I have, then that person hasn't been a boss for a very long time. You know, they, they have a way of weeding yourself out. You can be a dumb boss if you might have inherited some money and you were given a role like hey, he's the boss. But um, when you're around people like that, you can't respect them. You know, what I mean, if you can't if, if somebody's telling you what to do and they don't know what the hell they're talking about, you don't respect what they have to say. And so I want to make sure that you know, every every young person that I come across understand that and, and try to further gain knowledge each and every day because it's going to pay off in the long run. Definition of a boss, since you've mentioned boss. Definition of a boss. Yeah. What is a boss to you? A boss is a decision maker. A boss is the person that that, that pulls the strings. Mm-hmm. The person that, you know, at the end of the day, they get to do what they need. They, they do what they want to do. You know what I mean? They, they, of course, they have to do what they need to do, mm-hmm. but they can decide what's what. They're in control of the situation. Um, I would I'm, I always like to be or rather be in a situation where ultimately if something goes wrong, it's on me as opposed to being on somebody else. And so when you're when you're in a position of a boss, you're you're delegating to other people, but the people you put in certain roles that's on you. You hired that person. You brought that person in the fold. You had you had the ability to see something in that person that could help further the 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 ultimate mission. And so, I just I love to be in that role, and I love to see other people be in that role. Yeah, some people are not built to be bosses. Some some people are are built to be workers, and that's fine. But if if you if you got that in you at all, um, you need to harness that and pull it out because. I would much rather that type of life for for somebody than than otherwise. Now, 
you know, we talked about Kobe Bryant earlier. I had heard an interview of Kobe Bryant that first time he went to the summer camp, you know, he sucked. Yeah. Okay. And then, you know, he kept practicing. And a couple of years later, he was one of the star players or whatever. Is there is there something that resembles to you? I mean, because you never thought that you'll play in NFL. How did you get to that high level of playing for the kept, top performer? I mean, I kept working, man. I kept I kept gaining knowledge. I kept I kept putting you know putting in work, man. Nothing worth having in life comes easy. That that ten years into the league, you get to the Pro Bowl. That was an amazing experience because I finally made it to the pinnacle of what I did. You know what I mean? But you have to continue to compete. You have to continue to grind. You have to outwork the next man. You know, there's there's a lot of people that are really talented in this world. But if you can outwork somebody that is talented, hard work will will, will beat um, great talent 10, to 10 out of 10 times. You know what I mean? On that note, what is the advice you'll give to somebody who is watching this, listening to this, and saying, hey, you know what? I can't do this, but I want to do this. I mean, what, what advice will you give it to? Them. Well, first of all, I would tell you to take the word can't out your vocabulary. If you say that you can't do something, you won't. You got to speak things into existence. If you truly believe in something and believe in yourself, you can do any damn thing you want to. Like, that's just, that's a beautiful thing about the way things work. You know I mean, if you if you put your mind to whatever it may be, you can accomplish a, 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 just a multitude of things. And so take can't out your vocabulary. You know, if you want, if there's something that you're having trouble with, Find somebody that doesn't have trouble with what you're having trouble with. Mm -hmm. Learn from them, you know, gain knowledge from them. Some people, a lot of people want to teach you. There's a lot of people in this world that naturally um, take to people that are willing to work and willing to put in, put in that grind. And like when you, when you, when some, a lot of people that have made it, they can see and tell when somebody that's coming up underneath them or behind them, you can see they got that same drive and you and you acknowledge that and you want to try to cultivate that and 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 make it come to fruition. I mean, that's the same thing Nipsey Nipsey Hustle talking about the marathon continues. Listen, what's your legacy? If if somebody comes behind you and you help them become great, people are gonna they're gonna realize that you, this person, you know, Sam took this person on his wing wing and Sam brought these people along and now they're doing huge things all over the world. Um, and so if you're a person that's one of those people coming up, find those people that are in those roads that you want to be, be in, um, try to learn from them, try to, you know, become interns for them, whatever it may be. But if you have the word Kent in your vocabulary, you will not ever be successful in what you want to do. You gotta, you gotta eliminate that from your, your vocabulary and just figure out ways to make it happen. Awesome. Thank you, man. Thanks for coming in. Appreciate I appreciate it. Me, Thanks for taking the time and cool. appreciate it, man. Guys, this concluded our interview with inspiring Wade Smith. Wade Smith shared with us that his goal is to become an NFL coach. I can't wait to see Wade Smith on the sidelines of an NFL team. And that way I can say, hey, he told me so. Guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. Please tune in next week for episode number 15. We'll see you then.